Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Leslie Powell, Director of Outreach for the Yale World Fellows Program, talking with Tim Jarvis, a 2009 Yale World Fellow. Environmental scientist Tim Jarvis has trekked across Antarctica with the benefit of only starvation rations and low-tech gear, recreating the famous or infamous survival journey of early 20th century explorer Sir Douglas Mawson. He has trekked without support to the North Pole, crossing 400 kilometers of the frozen Arctic Ocean. And in 2011, he will undertake yet another dangerous expedition, retracing the steps taken by Sir Ernest Shackleton in 1916 during his legendary and harrowing Antarctic voyage. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Leslie. Tell me about your Shackleton expedition and what you hope to accomplish. Do you aim to complete the crossing of Antarctica as Shackleton himself tried but failed to do? Well, Shackleton's expedition, as you rightly say, was an attempt to cross uh, Antarctica by, by the stage that he uh, attempted his journey. The South Pole had already been achieved by Scott, who died, of course, along with all of his men, and the Norwegian Amundsen. And so for Shackleton, he felt the only thing left was to try and cross the whole of Antarctica, with the South Pole being the midway point. But uh, what ultimately happened was that his boat was crushed in the ice as he made his way down to Antarctica. And he, in fact, never set foot on land at all. He ended up uh, uh, with the boat having been crushed and sunk in 2,000 feet of water, being cast adrift in a series of lifeboats. And what then unfolded was perhaps the greatest survival story uh, known to man. According to Edmund Hillary, who was the first to scale Everest, he said, the most amazing survival journey of all time. And it consisted of them uh, paddling and attempting to sail their small open rowing boat across the Southern Ocean, the roughest sea in the world, to reach an island called South Georgia, where they climbed across the mountains and reached a remote whaling station to raise the alarm and ultimately save everyone. So it was a, it was a journey that uh, became more epic perhaps even than the original, but through mishap. An expedition of this sort is truly epic. What kinds of preparations do you have to undertake? And, and how long does it take you to plan something like this? Planning these expeditions takes, uh, these days, takes about three years at a time, I would say. And that's because of the logistics, the very considerable logistics that needs to go into it, the cost, uh, the physical training, the mental preparation, um, all, all, the, all the list making that you have to uh, go through to make sure you've got everything sorted out, the, you know, the risk assessments and things like that. Um, three years is perhaps the minimum. So the bigger the trips get, the longer it seems to take uh, preparing them, regardless of how accustomed you become to doing it. Uh, and that's just the, uh, the nature of the beast. In terms of uh, preparation, obviously physically these things are extremely hard. So I try and um, bulk up if I possibly can because I know I'm going to lose a tremendous amount of weight. Just the energy required to keep your body weight up in extremely cold uh, conditions uh, is, is something that means you need to, uh, you know, you, you need to consume an extra... Uh, three or four thousand calories a day, another 15 miles bars worth of energy a day just to keep your, your strength up. And then I spend a lot of time involved in mental preparation too, trying to think through how I'm going to overcome uh, you know, the boredom, the problems, the fear, the danger, uh, and, and that becomes a series of mind games. And over time you get better at those, just as your physical capacity to do these things deteriorates because you become more prone to frostbite and muscle loss and things like that. Who will be accompanying you on this journey? Um, we're looking for a team of five other people because that's how many people ultimately ended up in Shackleton's uh, small boat, six of them, him, him and five others. Um, at the moment, we've had offers from all sorts of people. There are 
top mountaineers who want to come. There are single-handed sailors who've taken part in the Vendée Globe around the world race who want to come. We obviously need a cameraman if we're going to come back with a film about this. But the cameraman can't be someone who uh, is just along for the ride. They have to be a participating sailor or climber. Uh, we need a doctor. So we're looking at a whole range of people and it will ultimately depend on who funds it. And at the moment we're talking to the Australians, National Geographic and BBC. Mm. So chances are it'll be a US, Australia, UK team of six. Perhaps a simple question, but do you look forward to the expedition? I look forward to the point where I can actually uh, yeah, step out into the, uh, the wilderness and get on with things. And I, look f I, I really enjoy when the, uh, the idea first comes together in your mind at the beginning. There are parts during the process of planning this where you, you get tired of the drudgery of, of, of planning. Uh, sponsors come and go and, and aspects of the logistics just don't work. But when I actually get there, I, I, uh, I love it. That's when it all becomes worthwhile. Your 2007 trek to Antarctica, the Mawson trek, aimed to clear up the question of whether Mawson himself would have had to cannibalize his fallen companions in order to survive. Mawson's original expedition, expedition took place in 1912, and you tried to recreate it as closely as possible using similar rations, clothing, and equipment. What did you ultimately discover? Well, that was a very, very tough trip. Um, I'd always done all my other expeditions with modern gear. And at the talks I do, people always come up to me and say, surely it's easier with the modern gear than it was back in the old days. And my stock answer has always been, I don't think so. I think it's a case of a man or a woman pitting themselves against Antarctica and all that kind of thing. But over time, uh, the idea of trying to do things the old way really started to uh, appeal to me. So I did. I, I went down south and attempted to recreate uh, Mawson's journey, a journey in which both of his colleagues died, and I did it in exactly the same fashion. So we replicated all of the gear and the rations that he said he had, that he said he had, um, to see whether he could have made it without having had to cannibalize one of his fallen colleagues. Both of them died, first one in a crevasse fall, along with most of the food for the three men, and the second guy died in his arms about halfway through the journey to try and save themselves, and it was he that they uh, skeptics have said he must have had to cannibalize to have made it. So I uh, set out on the journey and with real trepidation, obviously. Uh, I'm 6'5", similar size to Mawson, and the amount of food I was eating was just woefully inadequate, so I lost 52 pounds during the course of the trip. And um, my ultimate conclusion is that I did it without having to eat any, any additional food, so I did it without having to cannibalize anyone. And so by definition, I think he could have too, because we were both physiologically similar sized guys. But whether or not, when he lay next to the body of his fallen colleague high up on the plateau with still 25, 27 days to go, he felt the temptation to need to take some of that flesh and then found he had so, no subsequent need to consume it is, a story, is an answer we'll, we'll, we'll never know. A, a question for the ages. Question. What drives you to undertake these dangerous journeys? And how does your wife feel about them? Um, second one first, my wife is philosophical about it and knows that's who I am. The first one is I, I originally started doing these things because I like the idea of the challenge of doing it. And the realization that I was really living well within myself came through a whole series of events that happened to me. It, recovery from injury and realizing what it was that I had that I you know, perhaps took for granted. Um, but but with, with each successive expedition, I find that I'm really um, occupying the full, uh, the full kind of um, envelope of who I am. You know, I go down there and I find I'm, uh, 
completely resourceful. I like who I am when I'm in those situations and I find that in everyday life, that more resourceful side of me that comes out in a, in a really extreme situation just doesn't get the chance to surface. So I enjoy exploring that side of my own personality. So the irony is you go to these wildernesses with sometimes very little in the way of uh, mental stimulation, you know, endless white horizons and things like that, and you get to discover all about your, your own internal workings. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. You've spent the last four months here in New Haven at Yale. What will you take away from this experience, and do you think your work will be impacted by it? I've taken away so much from this. I mean, I'm, I'm, for a start, you know, if you, if you find yourself in the company of such exceptional people, which is the people on the program, uh, my fellow fellows on the program, the, uh, the faculty here at Yale, the students here at Yale. The, the thing about students at Yale is they're intelligent enough to ask very, very searching questions of, of your professional work and your expedition work, and yet they're not afraid to ask them. They don't suffer the social airs and graces that we, we develop later in life. So it's been a very challenging time for me here across a whole range of things. I've had lots of interesting questions asked of me of both the environmental work I do and the expedition work I do. And it's really led me to a, a, a far greater understanding of why it is I do both. Uh, in terms of um, my understanding of the whole climate change arena that I'm interested in, I've had the opportunity to meet with uh, Dr. Pachari, who heads up the Intergovernmental Panel, uh, and a, a, a series of scientists that work with him on that area, and they're doing cutting-edge stuff here at Yale. In terms of leadership on the program, I've learned all sorts of new things about um, how to uh, distill some of the experiences I have when I'm out there in the wilderness and, and really learn from them. Uh, and in terms, of, uh, in terms of the expedition work, I'm hoping I can, uh, I can get some of the Yale uh, students and faculty involved in the Shackleton expedition to put across an environmental and leadership message. So it's been a wonderful experience for me. Well, good luck on the expedition and thank you very much. Thanks, Leslie.